Welcome to another edition of We Need to Talk About Movies. Brought to you by Banterflix.com. And now, here's your host, Jim McLean. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I am your host, Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest episode of We Need to Talk About Movies, a podcast brought to you by the Banderflix Movie Review website. This week, we're going to be talking about You've Been Trump 2. It's directed by Anthony Baxter. It's his follow-up to two previous Trump-focused documentaries, A Dangerous Game and You've Been Trumped. And uh, I'm going to be talking about the film itself with Alan Meebin, Sarah Creighton and Juliana Monteverdi. But before we get into discussing the film itself, I had a chance to catch up with the film's director, Anthony Baxter. But before we get into that interview, let's play a clip of the film. Michael would have never ever thought I'm going out to America, but Trump was on the news spouting lies. They've joined the political arena so that the powerful can no longer beat up on people Sure, even my answers will be cut short and will be highly inaccurate. That's why I have a camera watching us because I want that for obviously, you know, for certain reasons. So I'm joined now by Anthony Baxter, the director of You've Been Trump 2, which is finally getting its release this week. Hello to you, Anthony, and how are you in this kind of weird, kind of post-dystopian COVID world? How, how are things with you at this moment in time? Not too bad things, Jim. I mean, it's strange for everyone, I think, really, isn't it, at the moment? And I've been working from my home here in Montrose, um, working on new projects, editing others as well, and also working on the release of the film you just referred to, You've Been Trump 2, which is coming out um, this month. After uh, a lot of issues, but we will, we'll, we'll come back to that. Before we talk specifically about You've Been Trump 2, Anthony, could you take our viewers and take our listeners back to You've Been Trumped, just so they can maybe get a firmer understanding of the lay of the land as we go in to discuss the, the follow-up You've Been Trumped to? Yeah, well, I'm speaking to you, Jim, from Montrose in Scotland, which is about 40 miles away from where Donald Trump announced he was going to be building the greatest golf resort in the world, spending $1.5 billion dollars on building a resort on pristine protected dunes which sweep uh, north of Aberdeen across along the coast there and they're unique dunes these sand dunes move and shift in a way that no other dunes do so they're a protected site and when Mr Trump said he was going to build this golf course the reason that the Scottish government uh, backed it and said look you know we know it's a protected site but the economic uh, prosperity for the area it outweighs those environmental concerns because he was promising this huge investment a luxury hotel uh, scores of houses and 6,000 jobs and the local residents who live immediately next to the resort didn't believe these promises and they were very skeptical about them. Mr Trump said that he could only build the hotel if a local farmer, Michael Forbes, cleaned up his property because Mr. Trump branded it a slum and said uh, Michael Forbes was an animal, he lived like a pig, 
and that he could only put the investment in if the uh, local authority helped him to evict, essentially, Michael Forbes and his mother, Molly, who um, is now 96 years old. And this was 2010, and it was during the filming that I then subsequently did, because I felt that the local residents weren't being really given a fair um, hearing, certainly in the local media. A lot of the local, the local newspaper in particular uh, was very much saying that they were standing in the way of progress. And so I went to start filming with Michael and um, his mother Molly. And uh, during the course of that filming in 2010, I discovered that their water had been cut off uh, by Trump's builders. Uh, they'd gone through a pipe while building an access road to uh, the golf course. And Molly uh, was telling me that she'd have, they hadn't had any water for a couple of weeks at that point. Um, and so my colleague Richard and I went to get the other side of the story from the Trump Organization. And we spoke to uh, 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 the chief greenkeeper at the time, who admitted that they had indeed cut off the water. It was an accident, he said. But he said that they were going to remake um, it, uh, mend, mend the, the, the broken pipe, and it would be a jewel of a system. It would be the best water system he'd ever had, um, was the claim. And it was shortly after I'd done that interview with him that I was at another local resident's house and the police arrived and they arrested me and my colleague Richard, threw us in a jail cell in Aberdeen, uh, police headquarters, confiscated our camera, DNA tests, the works, and we were put in separate cells and eventually charged with breach of the peace. Um, and this footage of the arrest is contained in the first film, You've Been Trumped, which was then broadcast on the BBC in 2011. And it tells the story um, of the Trump development up to that point. Um, and when the film was broadcast by the BBC, uh, Donald Trump's lawyers launched an 11th hour bid to, to stop the broadcast. Uh, it was actually October 2012 when the BBC screened it, it had done cinemas, etc., cetera, in, in 2011. And when the broadcast went ahead, um, Mr. Trump took to Twitter and um, was branding me a loser and a stupid fool. And he then heard that I was going to be making a second film, which was actually a dangerous game, which um, an interview with Mr. Trump appears in, because he then said, look, I'll do an interview with you eventually. Um, came around to, to, went full circle. During the making of You Been Trump, they hadn't wanted to do any interviews at all. And so the interview went ahead at Trump Tower, and that footage is in a dangerous game. And then fast forward from that to uh, 2016, Donald Trump is running for uh, the presidency, as we, at the time, you'll remember, you know, back then people were uh, saying that he was an outsider, that uh, Hillary Clinton was, was destined for the White House. And I was in Flint, Michigan, making a film about the water disaster there. And I spoke to Molly Forbes on the phone because I like to keep in touch with the residents. And she told me that uh, they were still without a working water supply. And I couldn't believe it because I was thinking, well, look, here we have Donald Trump running for the, the, the biggest job in the world. And he promised he was going to make their water system the best they'd ever had. And they're still without a proper working water supply. And so I came back to Scotland um, and went up to the many estate where the golf course is 
and found that that was indeed the case. They still didn't have a proper working water supply. And so I felt that it was an important story, a legitimate investigation to uh, show to the American people in particular that the man that they were um, that they wanted to be running their country had this history here in Scotland. And this was Molly Forbes, a woman who Donald Trump said reminded him of his own mother, um, who then was 92 years old, and his mother, Donald Trump's mother, came from um, the Western Isles of Scotland. And so I felt when I spoke to Molly Forbes and she said, you know, he hasn't got, I, Donald Trump hasn't got a good way of treating his own mother if this is how he treats me. And so I went over to the US and back to the States and followed part of the campaign as Donald Trump was running for the White House. And uh, so the film is really the story of, of the Forbes's battle to, to get a working water supply at their farm against the backdrop of the 2016 presidential race. And then, of course, um, as you alluded to, uh, we, we wanted to get the film out ahead of the election. And we were in, I went over to New York for uh, the premiere of the film. And we had um, dozens of cinemas all around the country lined up to show the film. But um, we were, while editing the film in Belfast, as it happens, told that we couldn't get the insurance that we needed. All films that are released need what's called errors and omissions insurance. And despite having raised $80,000 on Kickstarter, we couldn't afford the sky-high prices we were being quoted uh, for this insurance. And so it was impossible, um, it turned out, for us to release the film because the distributor pulled out, um, fearing Donald Trump's legal action. Uh, and we also had a screening lined up on a, a, a left-leaning channel in the States, Now This, and they pulled out of that screening as well after this Trump legal threat came to light. So it was a very unpredictable, difficult time, and we couldn't therefore release it widely at the time. We did, after getting the, the pushback um, from Now This, we did a, an online Facebook screening for one night only. Um, but we found it very, very difficult to get it more widely seen. And so, as, as, as you'll know, of course, Donald Trump was elected and, uh, and is now in the White House. And we've spent the last four years trying to overcome this obstacle to get this insurance at a reasonable cost. And now we have, and so we're able to release the film finally. I've seen the film and I know we'll be talking it later on in the... The, this broadcast with a few uh, fellow critics here, but uh, it's a strange beast because you're, you've been trumped is very much like it's a film that it's a documentary that's framed around local hero, a film I love. I mean, mm -hmm. there's some beautiful moments in that, but it feels like there's elements of, as you've mentioned there, you've been trumped a dangerous game. There's elements of Flint in there as well. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's a film that's been pulled in a lot of directions, but I think when it really starts to come together, is when you start to see that this is a, a documentary that deals with consequences. And you see, there's, it's quite ironic to watch when you bring, is it Michael and Sheila, I think, is it you brought yeah, to, that's you, right. you bring to America. What was that like then to film that sequence of this documentary of You've Been Trump to when you were bringing Michael and Sheila to the States and there's sequences that people will see in this documentary where um, they talk to, to Trump supporters there's also, they also speak to people who are very anti-Trump as well. 
and kind of shown this is what happens with uh, the Donalds. Mass, the, the Donalds claims that uh, he's going to make America great again, or in the case of Scotland, going to make the greatest golf course ever. Well, I think what was really striking to me was just how the Forbeses were received in the United States. I mean, Michael and Sheila uh, live in a, in a, on a farm in Scotland, rural Aberdeenshire. They'd never been to the United States before. Sheila Forbes had just got a passport. And so it was their first ever trip. And we, the reason um, they decided to go was Michael... Um, was very keen, I think, to speak to Americans to say, look, you know, I've never been to your country before, but the man who wants to be president has done this to us. And he wanted to explain to them in, per in person exactly what he had experienced at the hands of Donald Trump. And what he found was people, as, as you'll see in the film, who are very open to hearing his story and it's an important story because I think what's happened you know since Donald Trump became president people have done stories around the world about his various construction projects and look for local residents to speak to but the Scottish story I think is a far more powerful one mm -hmm. because here it is that Michael Ford, who, who on his farm on the barn has daubed in big letters, no more Trump lies. And he was the first person in the world to call Donald Trump out as a liar publicly, really, on television. And it was based on his own personal experience, that, that, that uh, claim, that, that he felt that everything Donald Trump said, you should switch it to the opposite and then you have something close to the truth. Um, and so when he went to the States and he speaks, he, we were at the um, Republican convention in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, where Mr. Trump is nominated as the candidate to run as, as president of the um, GOP. And um, he is there mingling with Republicans and just telling them the facts as it is, his own personal story. Um, and it's interesting, really, because the film was made in such a short period of time. I mean, most most films, um, the, the feature documentaries take that I've done, like Flint, which I've only just finished this year, um, it's taken five years. And this was made in five months because it felt so urgent. Um, the, the story felt so urgent. And, and it was an interesting thing that so many Kickstarter backers came on board and wanted to, to get the film made as well, because... I think it back then, if you remember, it was just this sense of, um, particularly in Scotland where people knew so much more about Trump's history and knew how he had treated these local residents. I mean, he keeps and kept saying then um, that he had great relations with his neighbors, that they all loved him, everybody loves us, he said. And it was so untrue. I mean, the, the local residents who, who were in many ways unlikely environmentalists they didn't ask for this golf course to be built and they were just getting on with their lives and then find this massive development happening on their doorstep and they're standing up for what they believe is right and I think that they have you mentioned local hero I mean they are the local heroes of Scotland they've stood up for their environment they've stood up for what they believe in and I think that's why so many people have 
uh, supported their fight and feel so 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 much for what they've gone through. They've had these huge walls of earth built around their houses, these Mexico-style border walls that built to obstruct their view and to stop golfers from seeing their properties. And they've lived with this for years. And I'm still in touch with the residents. I spoke to Michael and Sheila this week and also Susan Monroe. And they continue to live where they are. Molly is now in a in a home, um, but she's well and you know is 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 getting on fine. Um and now doesn't have to worry about water situation at all. And so it's it's a, a story that continues. I think it's one that will resonate for many years to come. I know we are pushed for time. There is a few questions I do want to ask. One of the things I did want to ask though was you mentioned the BBC showing the documentary how important as a social support for you was that to not back down because i also wanted to note the fact that it's a key part in a way not so much a key part but an aspect towards this documentary Mm. that we see trump and the trump uh, administration changing their attitudes almost to you maybe i'm reading that wrong but i mean how important for you as a filmmaker was that show support from the bbc it was very, very important, and it wasn't something that came without a struggle either. And when Trump's legal uh, threat arrived on a Friday afternoon, ahead of the broadcast on Sunday evening, um, there was a lot of phone calls over the Saturday. We were having to send, resend lots of information about um all the rights were applied that we'd offered the trump organization which we had done during the making of the film um and there was um concern at least from my part that i felt that um the public had a right to know that trump had launched this legal action uh but at the time the feeling was look let's just get the film out on the bbc and then we can go public on that and and in 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 um, you know it's a huge huge thing for me that the BBC stood firm and decided to go ahead with the broadcast because I think if they had backed down it would have been a huge um, and terrible loss for freedom of speech in this country in the same way that um, in the United States when now this um, had uh, Trump's legal threat on their on their um, uh, desks, they they banged down and they came up with an excuse and said, oh, we've had a last minute change of plan, we're going to show a different film instead. And so I think it's really, really important that broadcasters do stand firm and particularly in, in situations with somebody like Donald Trump who has such a history of litigation. I mentioned there about the changing attitudes and the changing kind of, of how they reacted to yourself because you, you mentioned earlier on you've sat down with the Donald. How was that as a process? I mean, how was that? Because I'm tempted at this stage to kind of see if I have an eclipse I can offer you uh, or because uh, I know that's in You've Been Trump too, but... What was that like? I mean, I know recently here we've seen the the interview that's been broadcast uh, in America and online with the interview with Donald Trump. What is that process like? Or what is that experience like of sitting down with the man and who's clearly, you can see from the body language, from he's clearly hostile to you. So, I mean, how was that as an experience? 
Well, it was one of those where I didn't think right up until the last minute it was ever going to happen because he kept uh, insisting that the, the Trump organization would have full editorial control of the interview, which of course nobody would ever, no filmmaker would ever give. And then at the last minute, he, um, he agreed that we would have editorial control. And we arrived at Trump Tower, going to, you'll have seen those gold letters outside of Trump Tower, you walk through the doors and we were told, oh no, you guys have got to go around the back. So we went around the back and into this, um, into this uh, lift, um, a service lift, huge service lift, you could drive a truck into it, and we were told to go up to the, the whichever floor it was, I forget, but dozens of floors up. And there in the boardroom, we set up the cameras um, and then we were told to change the angle of the cameras because Donald Trump didn't want to be filmed on the side that we had set the cameras up. So we changed that. Um, and then he walked in and the, the interview uh, went ahead. And when he comes into the room, there's a sense of presence. You know, it, it's the same way that you feel when he, he walks into a news conference. People are waiting for him when he arrives and there's a lot of expectation. And he was charming to begin with, but then as soon as the questions turn to ones that he that challenge him, he changes in his personality and he made it very clear that he had a camera watching because he didn't trust us. And then when um, the interview, the whole interview was broadcast in a dangerous, it was included rather in a dangerous game, the film made in 2014. And um, after that, he took to Twitter to to blast me and the BBC and said that um, he would be releasing the whole interview unedited, um, which he never did. Um, so it was another of those threats. So he, I think, he, you know, you, you feel in his body language, as you say, you know, there's a there's a sense of um, uh, he's not. Yeah, he he is happy as long as you're asking questions that he likes and as long as he can he he pulled off camera a couple of times and documents about how great the golf course was and showed them to camera and said look it's been named the best golf course in the world and when he can carry on with at press conferences he'll always say that's a great question when a journalist from fox or somebody he likes asks him a question but as soon as it's anything that that is in any way um doing the jobs of a journalist, he, he really doesn't like it at all. And that's certainly the case you find when doing an interview with him. Yeah. Uh, as I say, we are pressed for time, Anthony. Uh, one thing you mentioned, the, there was, there was uh, local, uh, there was local interest here because the film is partially funded by NI Screen. You were mentioning to me just before we started the interview that you had filmed or you had done some of the animation. Can you tell our, our viewers and our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we came to Northern Ireland, to Belfast, to um, do the animation uh, with a company called Enter Yes. And we also did the post-production at a company called Kaboom in, in Belfast. And it was because we were trying to do it in such a short period of time and managed to find two places where we could work quite, quite well. And I approached Northern Ireland Screen and asked them whether they would be able to join Creative Scotland in uh, in helping us finish the film and they were they were terrific they gave us that support and so it was a really good experience and I flew directly from Belfast with the finished film in my hand to go to the New York 
premier and then found we were then hit with all this legal issue um but uh, no it was a really good experience and i love being in belfast doing that work yeah and what will you be working on next because i know you've already mentioned you had already moved on to flint uh which is i believe i think has been released um so what are you moving on to next as a filmmaker? What have you, how have you been biding your time during lockdown? Hmm. Well, with Flint, we've got a distributor, a sales agent, and we're trying now to get it seen. I mean, we did have a theatrical release plan for this year, but that's all been put on hold. All of our festivals have been cancelled. I mean, I went over to Washington, D.C. for the, for the Na National Geographic Theatre launch. That was all cancelled at the last minute. That was very near to when the coronavirus situation hit. So San Francisco, Detroit, our, our big screening in Flint itself, they've all been cancelled and it's been very disappointing on that front, trying to get that film out. But I hope, you know, we'll be able to do that. Um, uh, the, the rest of the work I'm doing, there's um, a film I'm just finishing up on uh, an artist, um, landscape painter here in Montrose, James Morrison, who's been facing that awful uh, problem that artists mm. dread of losing his eyesight over the last couple of years. And so I've been making a film about him, which will be on the BBC later this year and, and editing that too. Um, but then, yeah, working on new projects and, and getting some exciting new ideas off the ground, which we hope to be able to put into production you know, later in the year. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Anthony, for your time. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jim. Cheers. So that's my interview with Anthony Baxter about You've Been Trump 2. Uh, now we're going to discuss the film and joining me as we chat about You've Been Trump 2 is local blogger Alan Meebin. Hi. And we have solicitor and writer Sarah Crichton. Hello. And Dr. Juliana Monteverdi, who's been on this podcast before and uh, a lecturer and writer. So hello to you, Juliana. Hi. Juliana, I know we haven't had you on the podcast before. We've had you on a couple of live events. But Sarah, we've never had you on anything before. So just for our viewers and our listeners, can you tell us very briefly a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, as you said, I'm, I'm a solicitor and a writer. So um, in the day job, I work for a housing charity. So um, I represent people in housing crisis facing repossession hearings. But um, in my spare time, I do political commentary and I write for Slugger O'Toole. Um, and I occasionally do some stuff on the radio and things like that. So um, politics is very it was my first degree before I did law so it's always been my first love really you know it's something I I just love talking about all the time and anybody who will listen to me <laughs> I I have I, I completely under, understand that you know I get that I did politics at Queen's and uh, I just tired myself of talking about it so I decided yeah. to talk about movies instead yeah. And, a nicer topic I think <laughs> well sometimes and sometimes like in the case of this documentary the two intertwine and they connect and this of course is you've been Trump too we don't need to spend too much time setting up Anthony Baxter's documentary itself because we've already discussed it with the director himself I suppose starting with yourself Alan you know, I think I asked this just before we sat down to record, you know, had you seen the previous documentary, You've Been Trumped, which was much more about Trump's plans for his golf courses in Scotland and the resistance of local people. And it was framed very much around the one of my favourite films, Local Hero. 
this is a very different beast. It kind of feels like an epilogue to that and a continuation of that. It has been delayed several years by uh, protests and objections from Trump and Trump's organizations. That's why it's only getting released now. It was going to be released in the run-up to his election campaign. So had you seen the previous film? And if, if so, you mean, what do you think of that? And more importantly, what did you think of You've Been Trump too? Yeah, I mean, the original 2011, 2012, um, You've Been Trumped, um, I think I saw probably the BBC version of it. I imagine BBC4 showed it. Um, and, and so in a sense, when the, when You've Been Trumped 2 uh, starts, it becomes, it's quite familiar. There's kind of the same, some of the characters are there. You see some, you see sand dunes disappearing. You see a water supply to um, uh, to a small community who held out and didn't sell their didn't sell their land, even when offered kind of you know, six-figure sums uh, to, to sell their land to the Gulf Coast. So you kind of see that familiar stuff, and then it kind of it moves on past that. And obviously, the first version, Trump was a, a big figure, um, but he wasn't um, a, he was he wasn't a, he wasn't the Republican candidate at that stage, and he wasn't the president, which he kind of is now. Um, so, in a sense, it has. There's a kind of a sense of deja vu nearly of <laughs> here we go again, but then then it kind of. I don't know. I th this one's cleverer, I think, than the first one. The first one, in a sense, it, it is focusing on those kind of that local resistance. It, it's a kind of campaigning piece. It's a um, the, the kind of um, the, the little Davids in Scotland versus the Goliath of Trump, his organisation, and in some ways the Scottish government as well, who allowed the um, the golf course to go ahead, even though the local council originally had kind of um, been been less sure of that. Um, but this one. Um, does a bit of that, but then also kind of widens it out. And I, I suppose what we maybe talk about is whether or not it's successful and how it tries to widen it out um, and look at it. But I, th I think uh, maybe uh, to uh, attract people to go and see it, um, you, you'll, you'll go and see it obviously uh, on a digital platform in, in, in nearly any of the from Prime to iTunes to, um, uh, to places like that, you'll be able to see it. But um, one of the lovely moments near the beginning is when they're sitting down and um, putting her, kind of, Trump's doing an interview, they're trying to get the radio mic on, and Trump looks down and he's just not happy with how the mic sits, which is uh, somebody who records those kind of things. It's a frequent problem that weak cables kind of all go sideways. Um, and uh, and so they kind of just agree to kind of swap mics because the other one clearly has a better clip, and the interviewer takes Trump's. But Trump sends somebody upstairs to go and get mm -hmm. some of those clips, the best clips they're, they're on my desk, you know, come and bring them because he wants to show off that. And there's a little aside where he's, he's not really talking to anybody, he's just kind of muttering to himself about this is the worst clip tie clip ever. Um, and it's you kind of realize that was being filmed, you know, kind of maybe eight years ago or something. Um, but actually, that's one of his little petulant childish things. That's It's a bit like a child who stamps their foot down and says, this is the worst day ever. Um, you know, it's one of those in our family. And uh, that, But he does that with, you know, a radio mic clip. He does that with, um, you know, a defense secretary. He does that with kind of people around him, people he doesn't like. They're just the worst ever. That's one of his phrases. But he uses it for, even for kind of little tiny childish things. And you kind of just got a feeling of, here's Trump. Um, you know, we're kind of seeing the character, but now we know that there's a. This is what he continues to be. He doesn't grow up out of this. He doesn't turn into a statesman, you know. He, or if he does, he continues to have all these little kind of foibles. Um, so it was kind of there's some lovely moments in it. Um, but I, I kind of I suppose I'm going to reserve judgment for a minute while everybody else kind of talks about it as to whether or not it kind of it works or not. Um, I think there's some nice pieces in it, um, and it's not a. I suppose lastly, it's not a. It's not a kind of. It's, it's not a complete kind of just you know, say that Trump is awful. Mm -hmm. It starts out from that point of view. I mean, that's the perspective. It's coming from a local Scottish perspective on the ground. But in a sense, it gives them lots of rope. It gives them lots of, uh, and it gives the son and some of the children kind of lots of 
space to actually kind of redeem themselves at some point. There's lots of opportunity that they could have said different things. And nearly every time they just walk straight into it, they don't take the opportunity to do the right thing. And you continue to have people who lose their water for years and years or whatever. So, you know, it's interesting as a film goes, um, kind of comparing, but it's full of contrasts. Um, and I'll head over to um, Juliana and Sarah, I think, for their comments before anything else. Yeah, because there is loads I want to talk about in this film. Yeah. I would say, because having known that you've seen the previous film, Alan, you know, it's, it's very much structured around local hero. This, you know, feels like an epilogue of not just You've Been Trumped, but Baxter's other feature, or his other feature documentary, A Dangerous Game, and even his more recent documentary, Flint. There's little elements in all of them that are in here. I don't think it's kind of quite as focused as his previous documentaries, but mm -hmm. I think actually it's knowingly. So, and a, a big thing, and I want to come back to this, is the, the concept of consequences. And this is a film that's comparing and contrasting. It takes what we saw in Scotland and looks at the consequences of Trump's actions and his promises that it's gonna be perfect. He's gonna make the, the greatest golf course in, uh, in, in the world uh, and we, then kind of contrast that with uh, going to make America great again. Sarah, coming to yourself, I don't think, you know, when we spoke just very briefly before we sat down to record, I don't think you had seen the previous documentary. I could be wrong, but, but if not, you know, what did you, what did you make of this as a piece of cinema? Yeah, I, as you said, no, I haven't seen the original one, but I have heard of it. So I do remember reading and seeing the stories about um about what was happening in Scotland I think in particular the year to, back in 2016 I remember seeing it coming up you know it was being talked about and very much people were saying well this is how he gets on in Scotland how is he going to get on in America so saying that when I did go into this it did have that feel as you say of an epilogue I, I got the sense there's more to this that I that they're not getting into because it's already assumed you kind of know it mm -hmm. so one of my big issues with it was I, I wanted a wee bit more detail. I wanted to know all the, the stuff that was probably in that's probably in the first movie. But in saying that, it does still, you know, it still gets you and you know pretty quickly what it's about. It's just, you know, you've got, here's the Trump golf course. Here's the people who, who live near it who, and they can't get water. And they're having difficulties trying to get this back up again. And um, I like the way the, the film sort of in a way, I felt like it was asking me to choose, you know, who would you rather look to you know molly forbes or trump but it does this comparison to them but i thought that it was the bits when they they showed her like they showed her at the war memorial the way trump would get on and there was that split screen it did very very well and obviously you know the the, the it being really engaged with the characters and i think it all uh, it kind of it kept its distance as well so it wasn't it also allowed you to sort of make up your own mind about what was going on too um, I think it didn't tell me anything I didn't already know about Donald Trump. You know, he's not a nice man. He's not a terror. You know, he's not a particularly nice person. He's he's narcissistic and egotistical and everything else. Um, but it did a very good job of of, of portraying the the residents and, and and showing what they were up against. I liked how it connected into Flint, um, and it made that connection as well. Suppose, should, we t should we tell yeah. should we tell the listeners or the viewers about a little bit about Flint? Since it's, it's, it's an American town, yeah. which has a real water problem, and um, and in the last presidential election, most of the candidates made a big thing of mm -hmm. visiting it to talk about it, and Trump didn't until well mm -hmm. afterwards. And when he did go, it was a bit of an unqualified disaster in terms of um, the, his media management didn't work. Um, yeah. So it, it's one of those lovely contrasts of water. They find lots of watery things yeah. that all went wrong, and they find lots of. Uh, 
they did really well with that. Sorry, I just wanted to kind of split yeah, this. Yeah, no, it, it did. It was very good at making that connection. Um, I thought, I suppose, but, but, but one criticism of that would be Flint obviously happened under Obama, you know, and I think, I, I do think there was another bit of this film where I thought, you know, that yes, Trump is, he's, he's a terrible person and everything else, but the fact that this, there's a wee bit of it where I thought maybe they were saying this could only have maybe happened under Trump, whereas I think anybody could have put that golf course up in Scotland and maybe done this to the residents as well. Um, so I, I, I didn't really get into that, but that's not really the point. The point is obviously about, is about Donald Trump and that's the focus of the film. But I did think, you know, would anybody else have been as considerate of those residents? I don't know. Maybe. I hope so. But but he's he's obviously not treating them well. So I really did like it. I enjoyed it. I I liked it when they took them off to the they take them off to the Republican convention at the end, and they get to meet meet all the different people that um and to have the chats and, and you know this is the first time out of Scotland. I think it was really really interesting, and you get to see them having these conversations with the Trump supporters and um you know the, the bit with the documentary maker he goes around and shows people about Molly and tells them and one person changes their mind and one person doesn't. And I do think it, it, it did really did show the power of, of corporations in America and corporatism and cap egotistical capitalism and things like that as well. But um, I would have liked a wee bit more detail. I think I think it's because coming because this was the first time I'd seen this. I wanted to know more about what was going on and, and I wanted to know more about the people. You know, it, it, it was at its strongest when we were talking about what they were doing and their resistance to Trump and showing how they were they were trying to do their best to fight against them. You know, I liked it when they put up the Mexican flag and all and those wee things. But ultimately, you know, you're kind of you kind of get the sense of the powerlessness that they feel faced with this man that they can't see anything and and you had that mm -hmm. that the scottish i don't know if he's an msp um i can't remember just off the top of my head and he was talking about the legal ramifications and how disgraceful this is and i, I just thought you know is there it's supposed it also showed the the how fruitless the scottish parliament really was you know that they really kind of didn't do enough they really you know alex salmon then saying oh this stuff that this man promised didn't that the jobs that he promised us didn't come they're not there and i you, you kind of thought well what were you expecting but maybe i'm saying that in hindsight and it's wrong so i don't think it tells us anything different i don't think anybody coming to this film will be to have their minds changed by it but it, it it's an important look at you know ordinary people being downtrodden by by the rich and the powerful and so for that it, it was it was it was it was not enjoyable but it was it was informative and i do think it is something you, you'd hope that other people might like to see i think in the run-up to the election um obviously this type of movie will get a lot of um publicity possibly and it might be used by people to show about trump but i mean i think at this point we know it the evidence is all around us that this he is not a good man he, he's not redeemable at all um, so I think anybody coming to this is just going to have their opinions confirmed by it. But yeah. apart from that, I, apart from that, I did, I, you know, I, I liked it. I did enjoy it and I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say a lot of the things that you've mentioned are to an extent addressed in the previous documentary, as yeah. you say, although that's looking at Trump from purely a business point of view, there's, yeah. he's not a part of the political system in that documentary. And mm -hmm. here he's, not really. He's someone that's looking to move into that political that a political arena from the big business corporate kind of point of view. One thing you mentioned where I think the film, in my opinion, is at its strongest mm -hmm. is when we see the, the the local residents going to America and meeting and greeting with Trump supporters and who they are people that clearly at that time, maybe still, we don't know, are very much caught up in the allure of what Trump stands for. There's a sequence in the documentary where as they're leaving one of his campaigns and one of his rallies, they talk about, yeah, he says things that yeah. uh, no one else will say. 
And we don't know how much of that is, because they're only kind of a few interviews or a few cutaways, how many of those people that he, that they spoke to, you know, did they really change their mind? Were they just saying that because of the cameras being there? But I thought for me, that was when the documentary was at its strongest, when we come back to that idea of the consequences, when we look at what, you know, um, Trump at that time was promising America, you know, the American dream is dead, I can bring it back. And then looking, these are all similar kind of, in a similar vein, things that he touched on and things he addressed when he promised to bring the, the, the greatest, the world's best golf course to Scotland. And that, that's, that's only my thought. You know, Juliana, I know kind of we were saying kind of uh, early on today by, by text, you've actually written uh, a book kind of that deals with kind of Trumpism in, in popular culture. So this clearly would have been something that would have been of interest to you uh, looking at that. So kind of before we get into the specifics of the, the film itself, what broadly did you think of this documentary? Yeah, so um, my I've co-edited a book that's coming out in the next couple of months, and um, it's called Resist, and it's about protest media and popular culture, specifically to do um, Trump and Brexit. So that could be media that kind of came about um, in the period beforehand, or um, that's come about since. So this is actually a really interesting one, because at the time when I started to watch it, and it was 2016, I thought, oh, okay, this is old. And then when I started to read about it afterwards, I saw that it was, um, you know, only being released now and all of the kind of reviews and stuff were out. So there's an interesting, like, yeah, ability for us to kind of know the situation, you know, whereas previously we might not have. Um, I knew about the Scottish situation because I used to listen to Trump Casts, which is a, a podcast all about Trump's exploits. Like, But I started listening to it sort of at the beginning of his um campaign for the presidency and there's so much as you know like Trump University there's just so much corruption and um, incompetence that I couldn't really bear to keep listening to. Um, in terms of this film yes I really liked it I agree with what's been said so far and I was struck by how it's a kind of exploration of different um, philosophies or ways of being you know like the fact that those people cannot be bought is the fundamental difference between them and the people that they're up against like their way of living couldn't you know they lived in a beautiful place where they had always lived and that's what they valued and no amount of six figures you know could have got them that anywhere else and they've been punished for that in a really inhumane way which i'm not surprised by from donald trump because as we've all said he's a horrible um he's a rapist i'd just like to say that it's not said enough we've all listened to him brag about sexual assault and he's a racist um so yes it Sarah makes an interesting point in the sense that like, you know, what is the, the kind of like use of media that speaks, um, you know, speaks to the converted almost like, yes, and everyone that watches this sort of will already know just from existing in the world now that Trump is, is a terrible person. I guess like having it, um, having it take place in the UK, I thought was a useful, you know, way for, for UK audiences to be able to like, see themselves in that situation because I think a lot of people deal with the Trump problem by kind of going it's over there oh America oh it would only happen there um so I think kind of having his bad behavior recorded here um is a yeah potentially a good way to to, to get it to get it to resonate maybe amongst um amongst UK viewers more but again I, I do I do think there's already just a, a very big opposition to him do you all think 
as, and I'm going to use the word, but as a political document, which this documentary is, do you think the fact that it's set and was made around the, the 2016 time when it was in the run-up to the election, do you think now viewers, you know, do you think there's a sense that maybe because of the fact that it was caught up in legal issues from Trump's team and the fact that they threatened that it was defamatory and it's been held up for so long, do you think that it, you know, we've all kind of said there's nothing new here. There's nothing that any of us were sadly shocked by, by the fact that his behavior. But do you think as a political document now in 2020, okay, we are in the run-up to an American election. Do you think it's a dated political document? Do you think it's still, I'm using broad, broad strokes here, but do you think it's a, in sense that it, it, the fact that it locks, lacks the shock value and lacks a surprise factor for us now in 2020. There's a sense that maybe it's it's opportune moment to get, you know, primetime coverage and primetime interest has maybe gone to an extent. I'll, I'll start with you, Alan. I think it's easy for this to be written off by Trump supporters as a grudge film. Um, that's nearly inevitable. Um, and I think I, th I think it just comes down to the problem of who is the audience. So for us sitting on this side of the Atlantic, um, we are linked to Scotland. <laughs> we don't have a bridge, but we um, there maybe Trump, would, yet, like to maybe Trump would like to help. Uh, maybe it could be the it could be the greatest bridge ever, or maybe it could be the worst bridge ever, um, depending on which way he he goes. Uh, but uh, you know, so we, we so we, we in a sense we start. I think I, I kind of my, my hooks go into it from a from a Scottish. You know, I've got um, uh, and that my aunt lives in Aberdeen, so um, I've got a, a kind of a feel of this thing that was kind of happening, um, and so that's. I'm kind of drawn towards that bit of it. And then I find the bits actually at the Republican convention, I kind of disagree with some of the rest of you. Um, I thought that was the weakest bit. You know, that's the bit that started to lose me. I got bored. Um, and because it does become very samey at the Republican convention, we see people who like Trump um, because they're Republicans and he is their candidate. So it's too late. Um, and so, uh, and, and the kind of the interactions weren't, for me, it was kind of interesting to take people from, from the original place, the victims, and then kind of put them in the middle of this to kind of watch. But uh, at the same way, then the filmmaker is a victim in all of this as well, because it's, uh, he's kind of, um, he's been, we don't know in the film that the film that he's making is about to get delayed by four years um, by um, lots of threats to people. Well, we do know, we do know, Alan, that he was, I think he was arrested. We know that the first one yeah. caused yeah. that there were ramifications of the first one and things, but not necessarily the second. Um, so, but but there's a, there's because a, there's a sense that the publicity around the film is is, is partly about here's the film from 2016 that we couldn't show yeah. you or not, nobody not enough people watched because it didn't get a, a good distribution. So it's a complicated beast in itself. And I think if I was American and watching it, then I would probably. Um, without making Americans kind of binary splitting them in two, but you'd either kind of be a, a Trump voter or not a Trump voter. And so you will kind of view it probably with different ways. Um, um, so so I'm, I'm kind of confused as to, I can only kind of really review it as, as me sitting here on the side of the Atlantic. Um, so the bits of it that work for me. And I, I wonder if I was American, like um, maybe my cousins, kind of, you know, what would she make of this? And would she kind of go, oh, those, those quaint little Scottish people. Um, and, uh, you know, she might have a totally different perspective um, on the story that's been told. Um, uh, that's tricky for Anthony to try and kind of pull together into lots of different places. So is it dated? Yes, it is. Um, but it has those lovely moments of the very fact that he has footage from early kind of 2010s so around 2012, the tie clip incident. For me, mm -hmm. 
that told us about the non-president Trump was like this and he's still like this and so we can kind of read what he does today through that lens of knowing that's just what he's like you know and uh, what concerns me nearly more is the fact that the Trump organization takes on the Trump Donald Trump values the, the, the children seem to have Donald Trump senior values and um, it comes nearly to the point of saying that the local police um, um, certainly um, are either being bullied, cajoled, or um, over-enthusiastic um, with some of their work by the looks of it, and given that um, charges are being dropped then when they eventually kind of go that far, that actually there's a little bit of the kind of the Trump muscle that people kind of get in behind it, and that, that's a worrying thing, because actually knowing that Donald Trump is like Trump is okay, I can kind of live with that, but the fact that lots of other ordinary people have chosen to take on exactly the same behaviours is really, really concerning, and you kind of say, so how much of the cabinet, how much of the, um, this kind of Trump empire, how much of people who are running a golf course who, you know, you start to kind of say, so how many of them are actually tainted by working for him? Um, when they're not actually working for him, they're kind of working for the organization that just has his name on it. So that's, so your original question was, was it dated? Yeah, but I don't think that matters because I think we still learn from it. But we don't, I don't think any of us are going to learn anything new from it. I don't think it's going to change anybody's vote particularly, but it might make people at least think twice uh, and realize that there's, there's more to this guy. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I, I do think there's a certain extent that it's dated. I don't think it's as on the pulse because I come back to that, that, point I made very early on it's got its fingers in a lot of different pies it's you know we see that it's very much an epilogue to you've been trumped to a dangerous game which is where that interview that he did with Donald Trump took place and that's where that's actually in there's much more of that interview in that feature or in that documentary than this mm -hmm. this is just something I mean I watched it I mean I've done interviews over the years as you've said Alan um, you know I've never quite had someone just be as hostile and passive aggressive and that and it's someone who's clearly there's a certain irony in this when you look at the recent interview that's went online with Donald Trump um, where you see that as you've mentioned Alan the behaviors haven't changed you know we still remember the night of the election that supposed speech where he attempted to from the teeth out, my mother would say, reach out to the, the um, the, uh, bleh, to his, he would he was trying to reach out to those that were standing against him and those that were not Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. And we see that it very much was from the teeth out. You know, it, he has not changed and he will not change. Sarah, coming back to you, I know I mentioned that and I'm going to go back to that question on the the datedness of this as a cinematic piece, you know, was, is that something you find that if this is like Alan, you find this a dated document? I say it a bit, I think just because it was set in 2016 and so much has happened, you know, the man has caused so much damage, actual damage when he's been in power. And I think Alan, you summed it well, it's not very much is on the pulse. Um, it was the sense where I'm like, I, I, I know this, I know, I know he's terrible and he wins and, and obviously, you know, these people's protests, the, the, the actions they're taking against them doesn't make a difference. So there is a bit of that where, you know, I would love to see now, I would have liked to see what do they think now that he's been in office for four years time and everything that he's done. But I suppose it, the, the benefit of it is that anybody watching this, especially in America, and I suppose that's who, who at the end of the day is going to be deciding this in a couple of months time, but anybody in America, I suppose it confirms, they can look at that and say, well, we knew this was this is what the man was like in 2016. We look around us and what's happened in Scotland is reflected perhaps in, in our own surroundings. And I suppose it will maybe just 
confirm for them that um, this is what this man is really like and this is you know this is how he treats people um, and hopefully that will maybe hopefully guide them in the right direction in my opinion so it, it, it's dated but it, it does serve a purpose but it is one of those things where it doesn't reflect the current situation I mean he's been in office four years time he, he's ruined lives um, you know he's, he's put people in cages and locked the border and the, the damage he's doing with the coronavirus pandemic you know that 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 is just it's, it's a gaping hole in it but at the same time it is the fact that this documentary has gotten out after so much legal action um and it, it, it shows what happened four years ago it, it's almost like another warning it's like well you're about to do this again so let's look back and see what happened so it serves a purpose do you get a sense there there's a certain sense almost of irony though watching it though whilst we're agreeing and we haven't got to Giuliani yet in the sense of the the datedness of it and the, the lack of shock value but in the sense that it seems quite ironic that here we have and I know I come back to that section of Taken I think it's Michael and Sheila Forbes I think go yep. to go to America and they, lit, they literally stand there with their their photos etc and show Trump supporters you know this is what happened to us and there's a certain sense that, okay, we take out for now in the context of this, the COVID pandemic, that is mm-hmm. ultimately, it would appear to be potentially, we can't speak for sure, the the final coffin, potentially the the, the nail that maybe the, the thing that maybe stops Trump's re-election campaign. But that sense that the promises he made back in 2016, I come back to the idea that this is a documentary about consequences, mm-hmm. that it kind of here we have these these people who are there, they are living the consequences of Trump's actions and Trump's promises. Do you get a sense maybe looking at it now, it almost works on an ironic level, Sarah? Yeah, I imagine you maybe could think of it that way. You could um, and say, you know, here we go again. And, (laughs) you know, here's, we've been here before. But I I think for me, it kind of, it kind of made me feel a bit, you know, you know, that didn't work. You know, I think, I think over the past four years, people are constantly been looking for, this is it. This is the reason why Trump is going to be, this is going to make him lose the election. If we just show people what a, what a terrible person he is, they they will see that he shouldn't be reelected. But I mean, Billy Juliana can expand on that. Trumpism is about more than that. It's not just about him, the man. But there is very much the, it's another election year. He's running again. Here we are again. And, you know, we have the same people who, I mean, I don't know what their position is now, whether they have their water back or, or what they're doing now four years down the line. Like, you know, that's something I really would have liked to have seen. Yeah. Well, I know quite, that. Go on ahead, Al. I was going to say, there's a kind of a question of, oh, I mean, this would have been really powerful in 2016. Um, in a sense, if it had got a wide distribution, you know, if it got their kind of um, errors license or their errors insurance. Do you insurance. think so, Alan? Like, I mean, do you really think so? Like, we're sitting here Actually, again, we're looking at this. Talk shows in the States might have talked about it. It would have, it would have been rubbish. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's dead easy to rubbish this. I mean, you just have to, um, the, the Trump playbook, um, you don't even have to be a Trump supporter in order to use it. Um, so you, and you can kind of just double down on this thing and you can basically, you can just, I mean, in a sense, the, the citizens in Scotland just become caricatures of little tiny people who don't know what they're doing, uh, standing up against the, pro- the, the progress of a nice golf club that's going to bring them jobs. And even if it doesn't bring them the jobs, um, as has been kind of proven, even Alex Hamilton kind of admits that, uh, it's still it's still a good message. And it's the, it's the, um, 
it's the line that somebody gave about um you know he, trump trump does trump doesn't think he's lying he's just making claims that he wants you to believe mm. that happen to be untrue uh, and i think that was a I mean, for i'm going to kind of get that printed out somewhere because that, that's basically uh, the best that's what's going on and people that's the line that should be in the poster because that's really what this conveys to me is that here's just you know people without water people who have you know may eventually have to take some kind of direct action because they can't get water um and uh somebody who says well we're going to give you the best water you've ever had and you know and how do these things square up so i, I think that could have been powerful in 2016 um if it it was still got kind of smothered by the kind of the fire extinguisher would have kind of come out and hosed it down but it would at least it would have become a talking point for a couple of days and it would have done something in people's minds to at least kind of know that they were about to do something silly or at least kind of purpose intentionally vote for somebody that they knew was a bit of a charlatan whereas actually at the moment it doesn't have the same power because those votes have already been cast and you know, many of those votes will be cast again. You know, small numbers will maybe make a change, um, and he could still win. So I mean, we're we're kind of sitting here in August, and um, this election is still winnable for Trump, even though he may be behind in the polls. Um, it, it doesn't take much. He doesn't have to say much uh, to turn it round. That's scary though, mm. for, for Sarah anyway. <laughs> the politics of <laughs> of what goes on here, you know. Um, this this is very true. And Juliana, coming back to you, as Alan alluded to there, you know, coming back to my own question, you know, do you, do you view this as a dated political document? And then what Alan kind of segued into there, do you really think that at the time, had this been given a wide release in 2016, that this would have potentially been damaging for Trump. I, I, I look, it's, it's that thing where you look back in hindsight and you look back and you contextualize everything. I don't think so. I don't think so because I think the term that the, the Trump regime kind of uses alternative facts is their kind of nice way of doing, of what they're kind of talking about, of about claims that he can aspire to. But do you, do you think, Juliana, that this would, would have been damaging and looking at it now through 2020's eyes, it's a political, a, a dated, political document um yes it's dated but that's how time and films work and that's always going to happen it's a shame about the distribution i think that the main thing that would have been an outcome of it i don't think it would have changed trump's success because he bragged about sexual assault and that didn't uh, affect his success so why would some people in scotland's lack of water um though i do think that there would have been a kickstarter that would have raised money for those people and they would have had their water much much sooner so in terms of like direct consequences, you know, like especially from documentaries and you see that a lot after, even after like Tiger King and stuff, you know, that there's a kind of huge amount of money raised and, you know, sent. So that would have been positive. Um, I think that, yes, okay, it's dated, but that it's, it's used to us now is like in its affective register. So the sense that it makes us angry. I guess there's no harm in just renewing our anger, especially as we're going into another cycle here. Like I said to my partner afterwards that I would normally criticize documentaries that I think are too heavy handed in the sense that like, there's lots of split screens. There's lots of like mm -hmm. a Scottish lady singing to her cows as a land girl, you know, to make them bonny, which is the, the sweetest thing on earth. And then you've got our, our Donald Trump Jr. hacking the tail off an elephant. Mm -hmm. right? And that was fairly early on. And I thought like, okay, you know, where's this going? Like, I, I get that like, you, they're cruel and they're mm -hmm. wonderful. And that's the kind of narrative here. Normally that would bother me, but I said that to my partner afterwards. And he was like, you know, that's what Trump does though. Like he's heavy handed, he's brash. He's, he says what, you know, he wants to say and he dominates. 
So if you're going to counter that, you know, what's the issue with being pretty blatant about it? You know, like they hack off elephant's tails, I suppose you may as well, um, you know, make a thing of that. So whilst it's not new information, I knew that Don Jr. was a trophy hunter, I guess, having it presented having it presented to me in that way did make me angrier. And I do think that there's use in that anger. Like I hate Donald Trump Jr. and I, you know, I obviously hated him anyway. But I took the opportunity to read a bit about him and like, wow, I hate him so much. And he's a he's a danger, like a real imminent threat in the same way that Ivanka is, who I'm also fascinated in because they're younger versions, you know, that, that hold all of the, the ideology and the hatred of their father and all of the power and resources and platform. And yet they're packaged up in these like sort of nice social media using packages and I think that's scary so yes whilst it's a shame this didn't come out when it did there's still plenty of um you know of, of good that can come I think from people watching it and just getting whipped up at how truly terrible these people are. Jim is there a question around um we the only politician we really see in this other than a clip of um the, the, the former um, Alex Salmon, the, the for, former kind of SNP leader. Um, the only politician really we see is, I think, is Andy Whiteman, who's a Screen MSP. We see him mm-hmm. in um, against the kind of the, the grey and the wood of um, he's sitting in the Scottish Parliament building, a beautiful building that you should all go and see. Um, uh, but then go to cinema immediately afterwards. But um, it, it's a lovely architecture, very quirky. Um, but it, there's a, there's a complete vacuum, and um, you'd expect that local councillors um, and um, local MSPs would be actually wanting the votes of the people who are being downtrodden and. Victim Victims of kind of big bad Trump, and you'd expect there to be a lot more kind of political um, will to fix some of these water supply, which after all um, is kind of a bit of a human right to have running water. Um, and you would, I, I find that it's kind of it, it raises questions. They're not really they're not questions that the film wants to go down uh, and ask and get answers to. But uh, the real questions I think for UK society as to why um, those people were left in that situation and why um, politicians were either scared um, or. Uh, just chose not to do anything about it or chose not to talk about it or why the filmmaker ignored them if they were wanting to talk about it. You know, um, there's only a few possibilities around there and it seems really odd. If that happened in Lambeg, um, I would expect that um, kind of Jeffrey Donaldson as a local MP and all the local MLAs and councillors would be on top of it like a ton of bricks and um, probably with hoses. And, um, you would, have, you would have had Steve I, Nolan definitely involved, definitely. You know, so why in Scotland, in Aberdeen, did that not happen? Yeah. And I, I think that, like, so Sarah and I both lived in the Holy Lands. It does depend on the type of resident affected, you know? Like, if you are small and unimportant and in an area where there are big corporate interests, like, as is the case in the Holy Lands when it comes to HMOs and landlords and <clears throat> um, the, the poor housing conditions there, lots of marginalised communities live in the Holy Lands. Um, <clears throat> and so I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that the Trump Scotland story does speak to the like the, the the power, the corporate power there. And like, yes, the Scottish government should have done something, but I can't say I'm that surprised. Um, considering like the the kind of promises and the bombast and and all that stuff that you know that he brought with it, people are seduced by that. And our society worships capital, you know, mm. at the expense of like we Scottish widows. Do, do you think we all sit here, because this is close to home, okay, as Al mentioned, we don't have the bridge yet. We don't have the bridge yet, probably will never happen, we'll never have the bridge, let's be honest, right? But do you think we get outraged? I know it's a silly question even just asking it, but I'll ask it anyway. Do we get angry, because we get angry at what happened to the the, the locals in Scotland, because they're close to home, and the, the film's 
political outcry and those viewers that will get angry will be, I think, uh, largely UK-based. You know, an American audience looking at this, whilst they might get shocked, do you think they will have the same emotive response that we will? But then looking at that, I mean, we mentioned early on Flint. I know that Anthony Baxter has done a documentary about Flint, which is to be released at some point this year. But I think of... Go ahead, Juliana. Sorry, just I've seen one already. I think it's just called Flint. Um, it's like an, an American kind of production. So yeah. There's, there's also I was going to mention, you know, whether you get into his politics or not. Michael Moore has touched on this in Fahrenheit 11.9. Do you think we we have those same emotive responses when something is as close to home to this as this is, or you know, when it's further? If it had this being, you know, in a Flint in in America, do you think we would be sitting here having the same reaction? I, I, I guess the answer is yes. But well, we are at the moment. I mean, we're we're sitting recording this and um, on on a Friday, and on yesterday, AS and A two results came out, um, mm-hmm. and so we're kind of questioning why, you know, a pupil who comes from Spain and speaks Spanish and was predicted an A in his in his A level Spanish got downgraded to a B mm-hmm. by an algorithm that didn't take into account the fact that not only would he get an A, but he would get a, a top A because he is Spanish. He could barely not get an A um, you know, uh, and things like that. You know, we're, we're kind of looking at all those kind of situations of unfairness around that um, and we're getting reasonably motive around it um, to the point that it's going to become quite uncomfortable to be the education minister um, to continue sticking as, as he is currently uh, doubling down on the, the algorithms okay and it had to be this way and nothing's changing other than appeals. So um, I think we do, we do get head up about some things but, but maybe Juliana's right that actually there are if you're if you're not um, if you're not a mover and shaker if you don't have much power then actually you will be disempowered and ignored until it becomes embarrassing for some other reason. So if you're living um, around botanic, if you're living um, if you're a small person, you just you don't necessarily get the airtime until you make a big fuss. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I just I just just kind of wonder if you're American and you look at this, do you see the Scottish Householders as victims as fast as we do, because they're ours, they're local, they're you know, um, and or do you kind of see them as? Um, do, does some of the language of the film rub off in terms of the fact that they live in a pigsty? They live in the they're, they're called all kinds of names by uh, those in the Trump organization. That they're um, and yet they're just rural dwellers. Um, they don't have big incomes. They don't have exciting um, lives. Can I just say to have deserve to to have respect and dignity? Can I just say on that note, Juliana mentioned earlier on about you know certain like with a a woman singing to a cow, putting a smile on your face. Nothing put a bigger smile on my face in this film than the sound. And I'm from Tyrone. I know I should be probably slightly biased in this, but the sound (laughs) of a tractor turning on never put a bigger smile on my face. And this (laughs) idea of how the political elite, the affluent, they look down on people yep. like Michael Forbes and that that tractor. It's never going to work. It's done. We would have a brand new, I'm going to use it because I think Massey Ferguson, I don't know. I don't really know tractors that well. I would have a brand new Massey Ferguson sitting out there. But the moment that tractor, and I know apologies viewers and apologies listeners if that's a spoiler, there is a sequence where this old beat up tractor is is turned on and it really put a smile on my face. Can I just ever so slightly change tact in kind of what we're talking about? Because a big thing 
with this documentary uh, existing and the the fact that it's been delayed was we come back to the fact that the BBC screened You've Been Trumped and they were they, the Trump organization were very keen that that not happen. They said it was libelous. They said it was defamatory, but the BBC stood its ground. And you also see that once it screened that the Trump organization, they changed their approach to Anthony Baxter. They then let him in. They interviewed him. They, 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 Go from just the, the Trump, the broad Trump kind of spectrum. He's a loser. He's a loser. That's my best Trump. I'm not gonna. You're gonna get tonight. But I, I thought it was really interesting that the fact that the BBC stood its ground mm-hmm. and screened the documentary. We think close to home. There is the whole kind of stuff with Alex Gibney's No Stone Unturned. Similar, oh, very different kind of context. But again, the importance of freedom of speech and the importance of good investigative journalism and investigative um, reporting. For you all, and I'll start with you, Sarah, um, how important was that, do you think, in, I know you haven't seen You've Been Trumped, but the fact that the documentary was was screened, the BBC stood its ground, I don't want to get into the pros and cons of the BBC, but just that sense that it was screened, and we see that that has clearly had an effect on the, well, we have You've Been Trumped 2 existing, we have A Dangerous Game, which is the previous film before this, but how important was it that we got the BBC refusing to back down and screening this, well, the original anti-Trump documentary, I suppose. It is important that they did it because, I mean, it shows clearly that, you know, that they didn't expect them to stand their ground. They expected them to sort of double over and just, you know, accept what they were saying. I think the biggest thing about the Trumps is that they just expect to get away with it. They just expect to walk over everyone. It's just they're so entitled. So it was important that the BBC did that and they got it shown and that um, it kind of showed that, no, they're not going to be pushovers and they're going to show this. Did it have a big, massive impact? Obviously, we've talked about that, but it is a good thing that that um, that the BBC did go ahead and show it and, and that it just shows that people shouldn't try and sanitise this, that they should they should be honest about it, about what this man is capable of. Yeah. Juliana, for yourself, and kind of, I suppose, even bringing in the context of your own book that you've mm-hmm. been you've been editing as well, and kind of like how that looks as a, a this is a microcosm of of Trump's antics and what he gets up to. You might even be able to bring in kind of. I know you've mentioned there his sexual politics and the allegations and what happened kind of in the run up to the twenty sixteen election before as, as well. But just in taking it away from the microcosm of this documentary, putting it into the context of of what you've you've seen during your the process of research for this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just want to add to the previous thing that yeah, that the BBCs are public service broadcasters, so you know, considering it's something about you know, UK citizens are 100% to me their responsibility to air it all. Um, yeah, so the book, like, the thing about writing about these sorts of things, and that's been the situation in this film as well, like whenever you produce something about a really specific time period, something else happens. So like, we've just obviously had a pandemic prior to the release of this book, which like partly, you know, makes me look back at the book and think like, like what, what will change from that, I guess, you know, I just need to do another one straight away. Um, <laughs> get to it yeah um, been, I mean there's, there's lots of interesting kind of findings and work in the book there's a lot about horror cinema in particular and the kind of response that it has um, to the Trump administration particularly because horror is a genre you know it's, it's pretty visceral in you know what it's trying to say so things like you know the Purge um, series the first Purge or Purge election year stuff like that 
Um, and so one of the chapters in the book then takes a look at how critics responded to those films and how that then contributes to, you know, how we understand the political um, situation. The chapter I wrote in the book is uh, about Kanye West, which, like, again, you know, the minute I stopped writing that, out he came and ran for, announced his run for president. So um, the, the chapter in that is it's really interesting. Well, I wrote it, but I find it really interesting. Um, because it's about Kanye's kind of concept of resistance, which is not the resistance we're talking about in general, you know, resistance to Trump. It's more about his contrary individualistic resistance to what he's supposed to be and the way that he then gets bound up in all these um, kind of discourses and narratives about like what, what a black man is in America, what it is to be a black celebrity um, and, and what it is to kind of speak out against um, injustice. Um, and yeah, we've just we've looked at um, things like Kimmy Schmidt and the different the, the different ways that TV heroines look now, and the way that their kind of agency is more foregrounded uh, in a way that it wasn't before. So there's lots of things in and around the election of Trump that has kind of affected the the media representations that we're seeing, potentially more diversity that we're seeing, um, and of course though there's also the increase in you know in hate crime and in violent act and all that sort of stuff which are the sort of tangible political outcomes mm. of somebody that can be in power but i suppose looking at what i'm i'm kind of getting at to an extent is when you you're looking at that and the research for that whilst we have a microcosm here that's looking specifically kind of at the behavior and i know we've kind of touched on this with both alan and sarah and yourself already juliana but looking at it what we see from trump's behavior in this how that kind of relates out to kind of the the general what what Trump the to the general Trumpism. I know Alan mentioned that idea the the well I kind of called it the alternative facts kind of idea. How we see that yeah. represented here in this yeah. documentary, and then how we kind of other things that we might kind of use that to kind of see what Trumpism stands for. So I would say like Trumpism is to do with emotion. It's not to do with policy. It's to do with um, a feeling of belonging and Americanness and all that that kind of entails. Um, it's to do with patriotism and populism. And you can it's also a lot to do with neoliberal language. So that's language that uses um, market terms, but applies it to things that are outside of the market. So for example, there's a lot of merging of political and business language um, in the documentary. So whenever they say, he's gonna run it like a business, he's gonna be the CEO of our country. That's taking you know business language, market kind of based language and putting it in a political context, which is a very, um, very politicized move though disguised uh, not a one um what else was i going to say there yeah so just generally the kind of dangerous merging and bringing in of like capital and its interests into the political sphere and then discussing human life as if it is a sort of cost benefit and you can see how that's worked out pandemic wise and also in terms of healthcare in the us also think it's significant that Trump's origins are reality TV, you know, despite the the billionaire narrative that's gone gone around him. We know that he's an heir, you know, to lots of money. Um, he was, was unlikely to lose it. He had that much to begin with, you know. Um, he's tried so pretty he, hard, though. Uh, I mean, he, he is a classic kind of business failure, um, kind of serial yeah. fa- failure, which, which is very common with with people with that amount of money because they, they try lots of things but but he normally kind of comes out okay um yeah. other, other people lose out due to the debt or the um, things being written off 
like the brand thing that he's able to do with like the Trump plane and the Trump helicopter and the Trump tower, like the fact that he's able, he was able to make himself a brand on The Apprentice and that also aligned him with like business even more, you know, it hammered in this idea that he knew what he was doing when he really only knows how to say you're fired and, you know, judge women and swim. I was going to say that the, the talk about Trumpism, it was summed up for me when the documentary maker was talking to one of the guys at the, the convention, I can't remember if it was the convention at the end or what part, and the guy says, oh, maybe their water should be turned off. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's not about yeah. the fact, you know. No, it's just, that's my, that's my side. That's my, that's my team. So yeah. Trump thinks their water it should be turned off. Maybe it should be. You know, it's the, the cruelty is the point, that classic line. It, it's just that that kind of encapsulated for me, you know, when mm-hmm. your man goes in and, and puts the stuff in, fixes the water, but he's getting threatening letters, which kind of suggested to me that possibly they might lose it again. You know, it, it's just, it's that kind of crazy, it's almost like a, like a, I don't want to use the word cult because I don't like that phrase and sometimes use in politics. It's just, it's like a, it's like your team like you're band together for so for me that kind of encapsulated what you were saying Julian. Yeah, you can't you can't question because yeah. it's unquestionable yeah. um, and, and we and we come back with a problem of um without slugger tool as a political um blog taking over the banterflex podcast but you know there is a question here here we UK, go i'll just for uk politics you know, but for UK politics, if we look at um, Boris Johnson was in Northern Ireland yesterday, he repeated um, the phrase about unfettered access, uh, which he is his standard phrase for talking about kind of trade uh, going across between Northern Ireland and GB and vice versa. And the fact that it will be unfettered, though we know that um, if, if certainly if you mean extra paperwork and certain things not being um, as easy to do as before, if that is your definition of unfettered, then it's a pretty strange definition. You'd have mm-hmm. to rewrite your dictionary. Um, but but he doubles, he, he keeps to that lying and it reminded me very much of that the description again of you know it's not that trump thinks he's lying but these are the claims that he wants you to believe that may not be true uh, and i kind of wonder uh is it's kind of prime minister johnson a little bit of um there's a little bit of the president trump in him um certainly the, the tory party in power at the moment uh, those at the top are running that maybe special advisors and things there's a little bit of trumpian um principles and the, the kind of standard playbook stuff is there uh, and that's quite worrying. And then we kind of wonder, would DUP and Sinn Féin, in largely holding power in Northern Ireland, will they um, continue to kind of broach into that area? Because every now and again, they do little things that you go, oh, that's a little bit of, you know, instead of rolling back and saying, mm, sorry, um, you kind of just kind of hold on to it. Um, or you, I mean, we've always, our identity politics and things have largely been, um, as Sarah's been talking about, tribes and um, it been on the team of something. So then it's forgivable or it's unquestionable to complain that Jerry Adams or somebody did something or said something because, ah, well, because he's one of us. Um, so it, it raises in me lots of questions from a UK audience point of view um, that may not maybe chime the same, I think, with the US. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'll be kind of interested to find out in a few months. Kind of, we'll never know how many people actually watch it, um, because those kind of figures are all for video on demand platforms. Those are holy grail stuff that nobody wants to share. But it would be interesting to kind of see actually how well it goes down and the kind of how opinions differ, because I, I think this could be quite. Um, yeah, it could be quite different on two sides of the Atlantic. And um, one other thing, just while I'm kind of talking for a second, would be um, the role of agitprop in kind of lobbying for stuff and in kind of lo- local politics. I mean, putting up Mexican flags just to rile Trump because he might be coming to visit. You know, um, it's really cheap. It's really easy. It's a uh, but you know, wow, it's a kind of effective of actually rubbing somebody up the wrong way. And that kind of 
just that little moment of here's something that we can do that doesn't that they can't actually take down, they can't do anything about, um, and it does get a mention on the on the cable news in the states mm-hmm. because the reporters there are going well, not everybody's kind of um, happy that. Um, you know what? I yeah. felt that that was much more effective than when I'm thinking back when Trump's visit to the UK mm-hmm. a few years ago, like the Trump baby, like yeah, the, the Trump blimp. baby, the Trump baby. I mean, it was it was funny to look at, but I felt that that. What they did in Scotland was a much more apt political protest and civil oh, well. disobedience. And in terms of its effect, it linked the two issues. It linked the American issue of understanding what's happening with Mexico, Mexicans, and the impression of the country, which is largely kind of what it was around. And it links that back to another issue, and it kind of it joins the dots. That, I think that's very clever, actually. Prop. It may or may not have been that effective, but it, it was. It, it came from a good place. It was well thought out, um, and we need more of that because we'd have a much more fun society if we actually complained about stuff um, in, in ways that were intelligent and actually made people think and join the dots up, and then start to see the bigger picture rather than keeping every issue in a silo, which is t- what we tend to do. Um, uh, but. Uh, so that, that was a lovely moment for me and I kind of it made me want to go in a sense that they kind of dropped it a wee bit in the film you know it didn't become a big thing but it was a nice moment of at least these people have you know they've tried a few things you know eventually they might get the digger out the JCB digger out and, and do it themselves but they've tried a few ways of kind of winding people up at the same time you know, they're not going to be standing up but I still kind of realized there's no MSP other than one that's actually sit, sitting part of the story that you know there's no there's there was a bit of a debate as to whether Trump should be banned from Scotland, you know, but that didn't work. Um, you know, but that, that's, those are about the only, most of these things get solved with politics, you know, unless you go to court to claim a right, it's usually kind of political lobbying eventually or lobbying politics. That's what changes these kind of situations. And there, that just wasn't an evidence. Uh, it's, it's disturbing. So, so just to kind of follow on that, I'll, and I suppose we do need to bring this recording to a close, but I know we can't really review, we're kind of sitting here kind of talking about what ifs and what about and this, that mm-hmm. and the other. But do you, do you get an, an extent from listening to you, and it'll be interesting to see what Juliana and Sarah think, that possibly the, the documentary has went down the wrong, wrong, wrong path, the focus is wrong, whilst we, there's undoubtedly an interest to Trump. And I suppose it's that sense, when you make a documentary like you've been trumped, you then see that that person is running for election. You then have a story that then you can run with. Mm-hmm. But running down the American focus and focusing on Trump and Trumpism to an extent is maybe the the wrong way to go when keeping it. The, the focus of the story really is, you know, the local yeah. side of things. The, the, the original is, The original one is a stronger piece because it's focused on one thing. I think this one tries to do two things. It tries to talk to two audiences. And I am... Um, and, um, this is arrogant coming from somebody who doesn't make films um, sitting here. So, you know, so, sorry to um, to Anthony as director and producer or whatever, because um, cause he, he did what he could. Um, but actually, I think in a sense, two, for me, two films could have been made. One is the continuation of the Scottish story. And the other one is more about kind of examining Trump overall um, and maybe kind of hearing more about Flint. So maybe actually, in a sense, the Flint documentary is the one that uh, is, is, it kind of sits mm-hmm. as a maybe it sits as a kind of a partner piece that sits aside alongside the Scottish one and you have the kind of the two and you watch both and their companions and you kind of compare and contrast this one kind of tries to put both into the one and that just becomes it's it's, it's not overly long as a piece it's about, well, it's about 80 minutes mm-hmm. um, so it's not a kind of a two hour maybe Michael Moore kind of you know extravaganza or something that you're, you're going to do and 
I kind of nearly expected Michael Moore to pop up at some point. Um, <laughs> like on that note, I know I mentioned Fahrenheit 11. I don't think it does as good a job of merging its politics as say a film like Fahrenheit 11.9 does. Like yeah. Whether you are a supporter, whether you're a fan of Michael Moore, he undoubtedly brings his politics to his films. And it's very wears, authored. I mean, his yeah. stuff is very, it's very, it's him. This is much more, the filmmaker has to be in it because they, they get arrested at one point. Like Anthony Baxter, you know, is a much more softly spoken presence than Michael Moore. He's trying to kind of sit back and be the documentarian in this. I, I come back and I mentioned that in the interview that it does yeah. feel very much like a film that's been pulled in, in three ways. It's a sequel to You've Been Trumped. It's a companion piece to an extent with uh, a dangerous game. And we also see elements of his latest documentary, Flint. I do think, I, I think it goes beyond something like a DVD extra. I, I do think it goes beyond that. I mm-hmm. think this follows a similar path to uh, Morgan Spurlock's follow-up to Super Size Me, where I don't really see that it, it, it's there and exists because of the fact that the figure from the first the first documentary has entered into politics. That's that, that is a thing, and I think that is a criticism yeah. that I would. But, but, but I would... As, a, as a kind of a bit of a mishmash of stuff, it probably worked better four years ago, and um, because the context was better. Yeah. Um, whereas now, I think that's what makes it maybe dated. Maybe, maybe I'm answering your original question now. Is it's dated? It is dated to an extent because the form of it is no longer as contemporary and it just doesn't work as well. Uh, and you would want it, you would, you would re-edit it for today, whereas in a sense they haven't, they're putting out the one pretty much mm-hmm. from last time with a few extra, uh, probably a little bit of text at the end maybe, but it, it's still, it, it doesn't, there's not much, I don't think there's really much that's been updated because it, it doesn't attempt to really to tell the story of where those people are, where, you know, where will we find, um, Kind of Sh- Sh- Sheila and Michael and um, oh no, 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 I have her name written down here. Um, Molly. Molly, you know the story. Those are kind of crucial people. And we want to kind of you know. I'm, so I'm going to kind of reading the. I'll be reading in the British papers. Um, they'll be doing the updates as the reviews of this come out. Um, well, I know we, we mentioned it in the interview. I mean, Michael and Sheila are still there. Molly is now working or not working. Molly is now living in a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, where ironically she has water, no problem. Water's no longer an issue for her. Uh, I, I get it. Again, I said, you know, that's something I do when I watch the documentary. I, I looked at it kind of where it was a political document now in 2020. I know you don't want to look at documentaries as just a purely political document. You want to look at it as a piece of cinema as well. I think it does work as a piece of cinema. I think as a political document, I think it is dated, but we've all kind of agreed that the, the shock value is lacking. You know, I'm going to come back to yourself, Sarah, you know, kind of on that point that Alan's been made and I've kind of touched on, do you think that is a kind of, it's been maybe an error to an extent, whilst we can't review the documentary that wasn't made, the sense that the focus on this documentary and the obsession with Trumpism and Trump has maybe, there, there was a follow-up documentary there to be made that as Alan hints at, is focusing on more the, the Scottish government side of things and kind of what's happened there and where these people are now, rather than following down the the Trump side of things, which, you know, from a producer's point of view, you can't see why a producer wouldn't say, you've made a successful documentary, you've been trumped, he's now running for president, you've got to make you've been trumped. You can understand yeah. that from a producer's point of view. Mm-hmm. But do you think there's possible, well, I don't even want to say you've been Trump three, but uh, the sense that, there is a, a, a really interesting documentary to be made there that's the oh, granted you've been trumped is there already as a piece of cinema but the follow-up piece should be much more focused or should have been much more focused 
on the Scottish government side of things, the British government side of things, and our reaction, as Alan's alluded to earlier on, how we've reacted to Trumpism? Yeah, I I would have liked to, I definitely think there's something there about the Scottish Parliament and, and what the Scottish MSPs did, because there was only one, and I mean, I was sitting saying, you know, these, the, you know, there's a considerable period of time where these people have no water, you know, why is nobody doing anything? I mean, I know, I mean, I say I work for housing charity, I deal with people who deal with, with um, mm -hmm. landlords and every single day and, and the, the futility they have in trying to challenge um, when their their house is falling apart, but whereas you know, I I would speak to MPs and MLAs who would ring up and on behalf of their constituents and maybe try and advocate for them. So, where where was that? You know, what why you know why did Alex Salmond, you know, seem to be very cozy and then flip the other way? What was going on there? So I do think definitely there was there was a, there's a there's another documentary in this, and um, there's another focus within this that isn't just about isn't just based on Trump. I suppose thinking legally, I was thinking to myself, he's had to put it out like this because this yeah. is the documentary. <laughs> if he was going to add other stuff on, they'd probably try and block it even more, wouldn't yeah. they? So he had, yeah. he's, he's had to get this one out that, that he's maybe been able to get past the lawyers, basically. But for sure, there, there's, a, there's a whole other story in this. There's so many things to untangle from this. You know, that, the, the, the big one of the interesting things that stood out for me was... Um, you know the Scottish lady that was kind of advising them, and she was that the, her husband owned the paper or something like that. Mm -hmm. Remember they'd done stories in the paper trying to promote the Trump um, mm -hmm. business before yeah, it was brought the, in. The, the, that one, was one of the comms people, um, yeah. partner is the um, was, editor of a newspaper. She was awful. Excuse me. She awful. She was awful woman. You know, um, I would love to know more about that. So yeah, for sure, I, I think there's something more out of that. But I, I think it's the lawyers. I think that's why it had to be. They're very careful not to name those people either. Um, yeah. You see people on screen, and it's kind of insinuated, but it's not actually ever put down exactly. So I also, I also are. like their. Yeah. I quite like their how Sarah almost kind of slipped into a little bit of Trumpism there. Kind of, she's an awful. She's an awful woman. Oh, awful. Yeah. Awful. You can't but, can't help it. Can't help it. Just yeah. just as soon as she came on screen, I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. no, thank you. <laughs> but again, but I think I think what riled us about that was the fact that it's it's the taking on of those Trumpian ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, the way a whole meeting kind of there was a, there was a kind of a there's a couple of dis discussions around a the table. There's one of the Trump children I think is there. Um, there's various people and they uh, just the way they kind of lean in uh, and then they kind of just give it both barrels. That's really inappropriate to how they're expressing things about mm -hmm. fellow human beings. And you kind of go, but that's. You feel free to do that and you don't feel ashamed about it, whereas most of your mothers probably brought you up not to do that. That that was a wrong thing, you know, that was not how to behave, but it's now okay. And well, just on that note, Alan makes like, us into them, you know. On that note, on that same in that same meeting, we have there's if I'm right on what you're talking about, there's mm -hmm. a sequence where Anthony Baxter goes to speak to Donald Trump Jr. There's two other people there. They work for the organization. I think they're based primarily for the, the golf course. And there's, there's a gentleman there that's sitting beside him, as you say, is quite aggressive as well, sitting. But there's there's also a woman in that. Mm -hmm. And she, as you can, has clearly adapted Trump Trumpism tactics. So mm -hmm. they, they come back to that that idea. They come back to from the, per, the first film where we see that Anthony Baxter is uh, arrested mm -hmm. after, you know, in very unconfrontational style, goes to the home or goes to where the contractor is based to ask about, you know, he's... He's been without this gentleman has been without water now for a week. I can't mm -hmm. remember what the term is. What what is that? What is it? This what, it's an Irish contractor, ironically it is. And, and and he comes out and I just kind of went, oh, you've gone kind of dark side here. I mean, you you you're yeah. not you, you are Trump organization, yeah. you know. And it's clear that this that's what worries me about this film in many ways isn't just about Donald Trump. It's about what happens when you get an empire um, and a whole set of. A, 
conglomeration of things and everybody just takes on exactly the same way of being and that is in a sense that's a commercial tribe or a commercial team they're doing things but we see it then in politics we see it probably in business bits we see all kinds of different areas we probably see this frankly outside of trump things would have to be kind of trump branded to be like this and perhaps um we all end up in organizations and societies where we could become a bit like that and so there's a yeah, I mean, you could write a series of essays, Julianne, if you want to kind of hold a book of essays around this film. So things, just kind of worrying things about society that this brings up and demonstrates, but actually much, might be much bigger, more pervasive yeah. problems. Because it, it's one of the things in that, as I come back to just in that scene, this woman, he, Anthony Baxter makes a point, said, I'm not sure who called the police. And this was, yeah, we did. We did it. Mm-hmm. We rightfully did it. And that's why we did it. And you were arrested and you should have been arrested. Julianne, I'm coming back to you and we are going to bring the the recording to a close, but on that idea of what we've been talking with Alan and Sarah there about the idea, maybe that the, that Trump's maybe uh, the wrong direction to be focusing this documentary on, that the story, that the real story is there is, is in Scotland. And that whilst I personally think that I quite like the idea of Michael and Sheila going off to America and meeting mm-hmm. and greeting Trump supporters, that it's a, it's a misdirection from the filmmaker's point of view, that the story that there that needs to be told is what's happened in the years since the first documentary, how that was allowed to go on from the Scottish government and just even from a local election, from a local assembly, not local assembly, from local politics to the grand scheme of Scotland, Scottish politics, that that's mm-hmm. where the focus in this documentary could have and probably should have been. Yeah, I think that there should have been more accountability from um Scottish politicians, 100%. And I agree with um, Alan and Sarah that the bit in the RNC, whilst like a little bit amusing for us to get to see all these Republican delegates and Trump supporters, I think it was overwhelming to the Forbes and to us. You know, like it was like, yes, it's taken somebody that is truly a victim and then just putting them in a situation where it's, it's like a million times worse, huge scale, you know? Mm-hmm. People here in full rallies about to be elected president. Like, dare help them, you know? Like, what would you feel other than <clears throat> utter futility? Well, I suppose just kind of on the, on the thing, on what you mentioned earlier on, Juliana, you wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm hoping no one has done that to, you know, someone who's injured sexual assault. In the, mm-hmm. You wouldn't do that in that kind of sense. Uh, the, to my knowledge, I, don't, I hope it hasn't been done. Um, that that sense of of doing that to someone who has suffered uh, sexual assault. I don't think you would find yourself as a documentarian, as a filmmaker, you would not no. find yourself comfortable to put someone in that kind of situation. I mean, I presume it is a production situation where yes, they need sort of content, and he's running, and, and what better way than to to put mm-hmm. the David in the Goliath situation? Yes, I assume that you know he gave his consent, and because he's a sort of like rebel icon force you know that he was probably happy enough and interested to go but just seeing the sheer scale of it and I guess if he hadn't left the country maybe he didn't know you know like I'm not saying that he was treated poorly or anything but in terms of content for us yes I think that part would have been better spent kind of interrogating a couple of Scottish um ministers about what on earth went on there and why it hadn't been fixed and why it wasn't or but then just to be devil's advocate, would we be sitting around here talking about that documentary if it was, if the focus hadn't been on Trump, do you think we would be watching it? 
and you know, come back and do Julian, then I'll open it up to Sarah and Alan. You know, do you think we would, if that was a documentary about, okay, there would be an element of Donald Trump in the documentary, but would we as viewers want to watch a documentary that deals about the corruption or potential corruption in Scottish, polit- Scottish politics or its inadequacies? You know, do you think we would be watching that? I do, yeah, I mean, I think lots of, of documentaries do kind of go into, um, you know, legislative or political or, or economic, you know, they, they can go into like dense, um, you know, not always entertaining stuff. And I mean, people that watch documentaries normally end up on Reddit afterwards looking up that stuff anyway. So, I mean, it wouldn't have been as salacious because Trump supporters make good TV. But as we know, saying stuff to them doesn't really affect. Like, I, I would actually argue that the few Trump supporters that we saw that did change their minds, supposedly. I really think it's because the filmmaker, this is going to sound bizarre, I think because he's an English accent, honestly. I think it's the Louis Theroux effect. If you stand there with an English accent and some nice boards and you politely explain something to an American, they're going to sort of, whether they agree with you or not, say, oh, well, that's terrible. Because they're responding to a sort of like, legitimate journalistic force with an, with an accent, you know? I, I guess. As opposed to actual thought yeah well, when I listen to the Scottish guy you know they, they don't care so much especially no. those and um you know the the actual delegates inside inside the you know they look at him and they kind of go okay sure strange little man with tattoos we we don't have anything to do with you you know so yes the Trump the Trump like conference stuff makes good TV but I think it maybe undermined the struggle a little bit because it just did make it seem so futile he was such a wee man there out of out of place you know yeah sarah for yourself do you think we would have been watching a documentary that i suppose that the trump you know coming back into the is it the art of the sale is not kind of one of his books you know do you art think that book. do you think that would have been a biggest as big a sale you know if trump hadn't been a key part of this documentary do you think we would be well might necessarily be sitting around talking about it in zoom but do you think it would have had the the same appeal or the same kind of interest as a documentary piece as opposed to one that's dealing with the kind of comparing and contrasting of of Donald Trump in the run-up to his election? Probably wouldn't be as big a blockbuster worldwide. I think within the UK, if there was anything about, you know, the SNP and the Scottish Parliament and the Scottish Government maybe doing something dodgy or not right, I'm sure that probably would have been seized upon, you know, I'm sure there's always people looking to trip up the SNP these days because they are so big and and so successful. So imagine anything that maybe would have made, you know, possibly Nicola Sturgeon look bad or made the SNP look bad would have been seized upon, but for sure it wouldn't have the widespread appeal. I don't think you would be able to show this in America. I don't think you would be able to show it in any other part of the world because people would go, I mean, cool, but you know, who are these guys? What's their significance to me? And I think Trump, Trump has worldwide significance because it's America, because America affects everybody else in the world, but Scotland doesn't really. So the United Kingdom doesn't really as much anymore. So um, I think, yeah, for sure, focusing on Trump gives it broader appeal. Yeah. Alan, yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think as a documentary that kind of alleges abuses of power and then tries to demonstrate it, I think it, it succeeds. Um, and that that's where it's at its strongest when it kind of says, it sets up David's and Goliath's and then points out that actually, if it's a matter of water, running water to a house, that everybody deserves that and just because you're a small David doesn't mean to say that you that the Goliath should be allowed to stump over you um, so I, th- I think there's uh, it, it's a 
it's a it's a it's a film that's very watchable. There aren't you know there are no production faults with it. It could be if you made it today, it would be slight, you would make it differently, and I'm sure the director would probably admit that. Um, and if you um, but it's interesting even in itself that this film has finally seen the light of day. It'll be interesting whether broadcasters will ever pick it up and show it, um, like the first one, whether or whether it'll continue just to be a, it's kind of online. Um, it's also um, interesting to note that NI Screen, uh, for, for local people, mm -hmm. put money into it. Um, it's not yeah. just Scottish Screen, but um, NI Screen put money in. Um, so um, even even for that reason, you should go and get some of your tax dollars yeah. back uh, and watch this in this somewhere. Um, and well, we've we nearly had Trump over here with a golf course, you know, so um, it has it has some local reso resonance as well. Of you know, there's a bullet dodged, um, so um, <laughs> it, so it works for Northern Ireland audience to that extent. But it it does leave me with just this huge list of questions of um, for some kind of follow up or some um, maybe it'll be the kind of newspaper journalists and things will write will now write the stories kind of based on this uh, and do it. But you'd you'd like to think that some somebody will follow up some of the questions. Um, that just kind of drop out of this in terms of how that family or those families were, uh, those small householders were treated um, by the state, um, by politicians, uh, and by a large commercial organisation that has rather a lot of power. I I, I would completely, I would agree. Um, I, I know I kind of disagree with the three of you kind of in kind of the sense that the, the, the part of the documentary that worked for me, but I, I thought it worked for me from just a purely ironic level, uh, I suppose, from a, a piece of, as a piece of cinema. Uh, I'm going to wrap up. So the last question I'm going to ask you each is just a very simple one. You know, I'm starting with you, Alan. As a piece of cinema, as a documentary, I know we've kind of touched on this. You probably already answered it throughout the recording. Would you recommend it as, would you recommend viewers now seek this out once it's available on video on demand services? Uh, I think I would. I think if it was in the cinema, I wouldn't necessarily recommend you go and see it. But I think on a small screen, it works. It's it's like a kind of long bit of TV. But go and see Parasite Black and White if you want to go to see something in cinema. It's really good. It is really good. But we're not talking about Parasite Black and White. We're talking about You've Been Trump too. Sarah, for yourself, would you recommend our viewers, recommend our listeners seek this out on video on demand services and give it a view? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's an interesting look at power dynamics and 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 you know people trying to do their best to stand up against somebody who's incredibly much and overwhelming. So yeah, definitely something to put up and watch and you know, you know, feel the feel the journey with them and hope that they succeed. And Juliana, the same question to yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. I really um really enjoyed it and um. The Flint documentary is called Flint Town, so I also recommend people have a have a look at that one. And isn't there one before this about you know with the same filmmaker about Croatia? Mm -hmm. Dangerous Game, yeah. Okay. Dangerous Game. Yeah. That's that's where the bulk of the interview that you'll see. That if you look at the trailer, for, if you look at the trailer for You've Been Trumped to, you will get the impression that the documentary, that the interview, sorry, between Anthony Baxter and Donald Trump is a bigger part off the document and that's genuinely where I when I watched sat down to watch it I thought that whereas you've been trumped had been framed around local hero the wonderful film by Bill Forsyth I thought that this documentary was going to be framed around that interview it turns out that that from speaking to the director earlier on that that interview actually took place in a dangerous game and uh, it's it's having watched it it is well worth a watch as another companion piece to you've been mm -hmm. it works more as a companion piece to you've been trumped as a rather than a follow-on and uh, I, I would recommend this 
I did enjoy it. I, I think there are sharper political documentaries out there, particularly around Trump. And if you want to know more about what went on and the Donald Trump golf course, I would say watch You've Been Trumped. It's a, I do think as a piece of cinema, as a documentary, it's a much more complete package than this. This does feel, I come back to what I mentioned earlier on, the Morgan Spurlock follow-up documentary that he made in the, in the, recently, I think last year, in the, after his, the success of uh, Super Size Me, it felt like something that had been an idea struck by producers more so than an actual documentary where the story itself is there. But I think we've all agreed that there is a story there that it's just unfortunate that the documentary isn't so much, uh, this documentary isn't as focused on it as it should be. So uh, I think with that, we shall bring this part of the recording to a close. So all that's left for me to do now is thank you very much, Al. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks very much, Juliana. Thank you. So that pretty much brings this episode to a close. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. If you have, don't forget to subscribe. And if you really like us, you might even want to support the show and get involved through our Patreon account. And if you check out our website, you'll find out all details about how to do that. That's us for now. We'll be back next week. But for now, until then, goodbye. has been we need to talk about movies thanks for listening for more information visit banterflix.com see you next time <laughs>